The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome back to the second class on the hindrances. And we sent you off last week with a little bit of homework to look at uh, the hindrances in general, how they show up in your life or how they show up in meditation. Does anybody want to comment on how that was? I recognize some of you weren't here last week, but if you uh, maybe you already know. Are you more of a person that's inclined uh, for desire to want things or more inclined for aversion? Or maybe more uh, inclined to have uh, high energy states or maybe kind of collapse and low energy? Or maybe doubt, skeptical doubt, like not, some hesitancy or something? Maybe before we start that, let's start by saying names. Actually, can you, uh, yeah, that'd be great, fantastic. Hi, my name's Sean. Sean. Sylvie. Sylvie. I'm Catherine. Catherine. I'm Christina. Christina. Joe. Joe. I'm Kim. My name is Ludwig, like Beethoven. <laughs> Ludwig. Name is Shrey. Shrey. And I'm Adrian. Adrian. Great. So I don't know if I'll open it up again to some general discussion, or otherwise we can just jump into this week's topic, which is about uh, sensual desire as a hindrance. So the hindrances are, uh, you know, so many of the Buddhist lists, they're given in a particular order. And the first of the hindrances is sensual desire. And we can postulate why that is, why it's the first one. But I'll, I'll say for me, I've noticed that uh, when desire arises for me, it has a really long tail. That is, that it kind of like, even if I no longer really want that thing, there's this general mood of, uh, kind of like desiring. I, um, this really became evident for me when I was on a meditation retreat and I was meditating and I was noticing like, oh yeah, I was like had all these ideas of these things that I want. Like as soon as the retreat is over, I got to buy this thing because then my life will be perfect. You know, that kind of thinking I had. And I noticed that thought and I just uh, let go of it and allow it to slip away. But then it was the last um, uh, sitting before lunch. And then I noticed when I went into lunch, it's a buffet, I took my plate, and I was like, oh, I want this. Oh, yeah, I want this. And then all of this. And I just had like all this food I was putting on my plate, you know, much more than I needed or certainly wanted. And that just highlighted for me, oh, yeah, even though desire wasn't like forefront in my mind, it still had this tail, it still had this effect on us, on me. And then um, perhaps you might notice this too if you're on the internet and kind of like this click, like, oh yeah, I gotta find out that one more thing and oh yeah, maybe this is interesting here and this kind of like being pulled into this desire. 
it's not uncommon for there also to be a feeling like, oh yeah, I need to go get a snack or I, I want something to drink. It's just kind of desire starts to arise and the particular object doesn't matter. So that's one scenario, but it also we have things for a particular object too. So it's both. I just wanted to put that out there. Often when we think about desire, it's so much is tied to, I definitely want this particular object or this particular experience. But there can also just be this general sense of lack, a general sense of dissatisfaction that we just want something. Do you want to use that uh, microphone? How did you come to this kind of insight, which seems that it makes a lot of sense to me after you say it? Um, I, I've noticed what you said retrospectively um, as um, recently as today. <laughs> Um, but it really, I just saw those things completely different. Buying something on the internet and eating something, and it's just like... Yeah, right, it's uh, remarkable how it's uh, kind of like, it's maybe under the radar, and just often we don't know uh, what's our inner life sometimes, or our motivations or drives, until we see our actions. Like, oh, here I am in the refri- going to the refrigerator again. Why is that? I, I'm not really hungry, but here I am. Yeah, so this is just, it's a fascinating to watch. But this tells you that, okay, this, this is desire again, right? But it doesn't tell you that there is a link between the first and the second one. The first type and the second type. Yeah, this is, I'll just say this is my experience. So I can't say that there isn't a link, and that, but it's more, uh, it's how I'm understanding it for myself and how I imagine it is for many people is that there's an underlying sense of something that's fueling the desire oh, and that underlying okay. thing isn't getting addressed. Oh, so okay. it's getting expressed as desire for all kinds of things. Oh, okay. So then do you... I mean, maybe that's a class today. Do you go into what is fueling this? Maybe that's what you want to talk about today. Yeah, we sep- certainly will talk about this. Oh. But if you notice this is happening, that's the perfect thing to do. It's like, oh, yeah, what is, uh, why does this keep on arising? Or mm. why does it seem to have this long tail, as I uh, uh, described it? Wow. Well, I'm glad I'm here tonight. I never thought about that this way. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So, yes, Catherine. So is desire the same as craving, or are they just related, or...? Yeah, so I'm going to use the word kind of loosely uh, tonight, because I think uh, with regards to practice, it's helpful to find, discover for ourselves whether I I think as craving being really like uh, a strong desire is how I think about it. But uh, maybe for you it'll be a little bit different, and so we all have a chance to explore it for ourselves. I started reading Gill's book on the five hindrances, and 
I haven't gotten past the chapter on desire because I realize in myself I've got gazillions of them. And one of the things that is pointed out, it, it's even in the thought process, and my desires are sometimes I'm meditating and I'll just go off on some idea and I'm, you know, putting all these complex things together and and uh, then I go oops, back to the breath and I'm off on another one and off on another one. And sometimes I think it's, it is covering up something else that's going on. There's something that's driving that besides just the desire itself. Yeah, right? Otherwise it would just arise and pass away and then something else would arise and pass yeah. away. But, right, and this is true for anything, whether it's thoughts or restlessness or... Um, sloth and torpor, there's often something deeper that's fueling them. And this is something that we'll be exploring as we uh, go through this week. Yes, Ludwig. What comes up for me as I'm listening is what about the the needs? Uh, I have my birthday coming up. It's a very significant number, and um, so I have a need for having people around me. And um, now, where do I make a distinction between, oh, there's a desire and there is a need? A need as a human being to have other to be in company with others, for me, is a healthy need. And a desire would be, well, I want to be together with that specific person or with that person. And in the end, they're all human beings, right? I could invite anybody. So how do I make a distinction between a, a strong desire and a strong need? Yeah. Thank you for uh, asking that. I would say, actually, for what we're doing here, we don't need to make a distinction. Here's the type of distinction that I think is helpful. But before that, I'll say that having desire is part of human life. We need this, right? The desire to eat when we have hunger signals, the desire to care for and protect our beloved, you know, the people that we love, right? It's natural. It's part of human nature and it's part of human being. Desire in itself is not inherently problematic. In fact, the desire to learn more about the hindrances to come to a class can be supportive, right? The desire to find greater ease and freedom can uh, really uh, motivate us and have us come here or practice in whatever way. So I want to acknowledge that desire in itself is not a problem. It becomes a hindrance when it gets in the way, right? It's not surprising when it hinders, when it uh, prevents us from doing something that we want to do. For example, maybe get settled in meditation. It's where we often see it. But also we see this in our daily life. If we are pursuing a desire in a way that uh, maybe doesn't, isn't for our best interest, and somehow it's not so easy once we recognize that that's what's happening to put it down. Or maybe because we are fueled by desire, we may not be able to see clearly 
uh, are we are instead we're seeing everything like, okay, does that satisfy my desire or not? We don't, maybe we just get into that kind of binary thinking and not really see the fullness or the richness of these objects or people. So part of Buddhist practice is to help us distinguish what is skillful desire and what is unskillful desire. What can support our life and their goals and aspirations and help us be the best versions of ourselves and which desires don't. And then that um, discernment or distinction between what is helpful, skillful, and what isn't, that's different for all of us and it shifts in our, during our life too. I'm trying to think of a, I'll, I'll get to you Sylvie in a moment. I'm trying to think of... Um, Here's an example. When I was younger, when um, this was something that my parents, like for a treat, we would have a Hershey's, uh, what was it called? It's just like a, just a regular chocolate bar. Maybe it was just called Hershey's. And like this was a treat for my brother and I that my parents would give us chocolate. So I kind of loved this chocolate. But then... uh, you know, I kind of became a little bit less attached to chocolate. But then in my uh, early 20s, I got introduced to chocolate that came from Belgium. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so different. <laughs> like now, what it's, I, uh, you know, my relationship to chocolate is different and what I thought was uh, pleasurable is shifted and all these types of things. I'm sure we have those types of experiences all the time. Right, so this idea of what's skillful, I was talking about pleasure I wanted to, in that example about chocolate, but I want to talk a little bit about desire. So the desire to support others, maybe that wasn't so important earlier in our life when we were early in our career or I don't know, for whatever reason. But maybe as we age, we have more and more of that uh, desire. So it, and and, to, and we have the ability to see that, oh yeah, this desire to support others is more skillful, more, better supports my life than the desire to do what's easiest or to do what's fastest or the most comfortable. So this idea of skillful and unskillful, we each get to um, discover that for ourselves. Of course, the Buddha had some ideas about this, a lot of it having to do with um, ethics and moral behavior, um, that desire to have the bliss of blamelessness. That is to not have any regret or remorse for um, having harmed others. So maybe before um, I talk about this some more... Oh, I'm sorry, Sylvia. Yes, you had a comment. Um, I just wanted to address the question from Ludovic because I, I've been very interested and done research in the past year on human needs and so like basically there are many human needs that we all share and they all fall into depending on you know who you're looking at six basic categories the example that you gave about your birthday is you have a normal need for love and connection the desire is how you, you're going to interpret that need. And so 
It could be being with that person or that person. Who is the person who is going to fulfill that human need for connection? Um, so just wanted to clarify. We could also throw in the mix, right? We also have like human drives, right? The, um, the drive to survive, right? And the drive to get our genes into the next generation, that type of thing too. So there's all these kind of th this push, right? Kind of to move a certain direction. And I'm going to say for our discussion, the distinctions between them isn't as important. It's more as just discovering what uh, supports our life and our practice. And to pay attention to when they hinder, when they get in our way. So let's do a guided meditation. And we'll... Um, and I'm going to use the Bella, B-E-L-L-A, to guide us. And that was part of the, um, on the handout from last week. It's just a way is to put it into practice. Okay. So we'll begin by taking an alert, upright posture. And let's take three long, slow, deep breaths. Perhaps there's some letting go or softening of some tension with the exhale. And to help us settle, we can check in and see if there's some tension that can be readily softened without making a big project or trying to make all the tension go away. Just see if we can soften. We often hold tension behind our eyes or in the jaw. can check in with the neck and the shoulders, allowing the shoulder blades to slide down the back. The chest and the belly, just allowing them to soften and settle. And allowing the chair or cushion to support you, letting gravity do its work, kind of relaxing into the support. The legs and feet, see if we can let go of any tension that's extra. And 
And then we'll start with mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. So you can rest your awareness on the movement of the abdomen or the movement of the chest or the feeling of the air going in and out of your nose. Choose one of those three, whichever is the easiest, is the, you have the greatest access to. And just rest your awareness on the movement. If you find your mind wandering, it doesn't have to be a problem. Just very simply, gently bring your awareness back to the sensations of breathing. See if you can give yourself over into the sensations of breathing. If you find your mind wandering, you can just begin again. So now you can bring to mind an easy memory of desire. may have been during this meditation or something that happens during the, in your daily life or an earlier meditation. You don't have to bring the, mo- the one that has the most power or the most grip. But what does it feel like to want? What does it feel like to have desire? Uh, 
Now that you've brought this to mind and perhaps are experiencing it, hopefully in not a way that's too troubling, can you just acknowledge, oh yeah, this is desire. Without it having to be a problem, can it just be there? Can you just experience it? without giving in to it or pushing it away. Just acknowledge this is what's happening right now. And then you can examine it. How does it feel in your body? And how does it feel in your mind? Is there a quality in your mind? Are your thoughts fast or slow? Are they clear or or a little bit muddy? Can you sense how it affects your ability to stay with the breath or, or if you're bringing to mind a time that wasn't during meditation, Do you have a sense of how it hindered, how it got in the way? And as we mentioned earlier, it can be helpful if it's the desire is persistent or particularly compelling, is to very gently inquire if there is something underneath fueling it. One way to do that is to not look for what's fueling it, but just create the conditions for what's fueling it to be known. And we can do that by just simply dropping in the question, is there something underneath this? And again, not looking, not trying to, demanding that the answer be known, but just asking very simply, if the answer may or may not arise, is there something underneath this? Again, we don't have to give in to this desire. We're just examining, looking at it, experiencing it, without getting lost in it. Now we can shift our attention again towards the object of desire. Are you seeing it clearly? Do you see 
the different aspects of it, the desirable parts and maybe the less desirable parts. Is it everything you think it is? Now that we've examined the desire and maybe what's fueling it and looked at the object, Maybe we can work to lessen the power or the influence it has. One way to do that is just to apply a little bit more energy towards being present, being mindful. Sometimes just a little bit of diligence or a recommitment to mindfulness can help the desire fade in the background or not be as compelling. Now you can check in and see if indeed the desire has softened. It may not have. But if it has, how does it feel, that softening? Maybe it's no longer there. Maybe it feels different. Maybe it feels the same. But can you appreciate or acknowledge whatever greater sense of well-being or ease that arises when the desire is softened or even let go. So we can bring our awareness back to the sensations of breathing. Just rest there. 
And then to end this meditation, you can feel the chair or the cushion, the pressure against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So in that meditation, I started with our getting a little bit settled and encouraged you to notice a desire. And if one wasn't happening during meditation, to notice or remember, bring one to mind what happened in your daily life. And then first, if we're... And so this idea of Bella is just a tool that you can use. And Bella is just, you know, an acronym to help remember it. If it's not useful, don't use it. But it can be, or you can, you know, mix it up and make it your own. So first was B, just to acknowledge what's really happening. Sometimes that alone is enough to kind of take the power out of something, just to like, oh, okay, this is what's actually happening. And then uh, E is to examine and I put in there a few different steps. You don't have to do all of these steps. That could get too complicated, but it's, uh, I offered them as a way to, um, to explore and see if it's helpful. But to examine, it can mean, how does it feel in your body? How does it feel in your mind? And check to see if, if there's a, like a compulsive or a really powerful feeling about this. You can check and see if there's something fueling it. And that can be very simple. Like we're, uh, in, when, in daily life, you could do more s- contemplation, but while you're meditating, you could just drop in. Is there something that's underneath this? Sometimes something will arise, sometimes it won't. It just kind of depends. Um, actually, I don't know what it depends on exactly. But just know that you won't always have that. And maybe that feels too complicated sometimes when you're meditating to purposefully do something like that. It feels like too much work and too much doing. So I just offer that as a way maybe to, uh, if it feels like it would be supportive. And then the first L is to lessen. Like how can we, um, if we have, if that hasn't happened already. Oh, I'm sorry. Also under examine for desire, it can be helpful to think about, well, what is it exactly I'm desiring? And am I seeing this clearly? Because that's one of the hallmarks of the hindrances is we don't see them clearly. We don't see the downside of eating sugar powdered donuts or, you know, we are just thinking about, you know, all the upside. We're not thinking about the downside. And of course, part of the downside is that uh, any satisfaction we may feel is transitory, right? It's impermanent, just like, you know, everything else. So it won't be a source of lasting happiness. It may be a source of pleasure, but... So that's examine. I I dropped in, is is there anything underneath this? That was all I said to kind of 
You can find words that make more sense to you. But. And then often um, to lessen, it can be simply just kind of recommit, like, oh yeah, I'm meditating here, and just apply a little bit more energy to that. For the different hindrances, we'll offer some uh, different antidotes or things to work with that. And then let go as best you can. That may not make any sense. It may be like, okay, that's not really an option here. I'm like really under the sway of this hindrance. That's okay. That's what happens sometimes. But if you're examining it, you may notice that its intensity is shifting or how it feels is shifting, that it's not you know, monolithic or the same. And so it can help to appreciate when you notice that, oh yeah, it's not quite as strong as it was earlier. Then just appreciate, like, oh yeah, there's a little bit more ease, a little bit more freedom. It's probably a little bit easier to let go now. You may not be able to let go, but a little bit easier now. Just to appreciate that, having that appreciation makes it more likely that this will happen again. Right? That's how our, kind of our minds work. What we pay attention to um, is easier to see. So now I'd like to ask you guys, did you notice? How did it feel in your body? How did it feel in your mind? When you tried to examine, did that feel too busy? Or did you have some insight? Or how did that go? Were you able to acknowledge that there was a little bit of a lessening? What was that experience like? If anybody would like to share, that'd be great. Um, I I enjoyed the the guided meditation. Thank you. Um, for me, the conjured feeling of desire was not hard to make happen because it's happen- <laughs> it usually just happens of itself. And what I noticed um, was the close connection for me between desire and aversion. That I I seemed to, I and I was remembering this afternoon. I was doing my work at my desk. I was happy. Something, something good happened. And then the next sec- second, something bad happened, and I instantly was hungry. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? And I remember like, I had the sense that I'm not really hungry. This is, this is just not wanting to deal with this bad thing that just happened, this, this difficult thing. But it didn't help. <laughs> I went to the <laughs> I went for the cookies, the serious cookies, um, and I didn't stop. I just kept eating them, I, and I realized, you know, and you, you said this. It's like, what good is this? Is, am I seeing this clearly? I guess my answer to that would be yes. <laughs> I knew that this was a dumb thing to do. I knew that this wasn't going to help me. I knew that this wasn't going to make me feel better. Um, that happens all the time. Um, I, I realize that, and somehow knowledge is just not strong enough to um, th- it to transform this sort of primal, crazy, habitual behavioral pattern, and I find that sad. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah. So this, Peter, this is exactly how it begins, though. It's like, oh, you noticed that I'm actually not hungry, but I'm eating. 
That's exactly how the path to getting so that you don't eat for emotional reasons starts. That's exactly how it starts. This is a well-worn, or maybe in our society today, it's such a common thing, right? Kind of emotional eating. And of course, right, food in particular is associated with nurturance and comfort and all kinds of things. But this is exactly how it starts. And maybe this is, you go from 10 cookies, next time it's, nine and three quarters cookies. (laughs) You know, that it works. And then like, okay, then it's rice cakes, but it's now it's 20 rice cakes instead of cookies or something like this, or I don't know. But it does shift. And it's, this is exactly how it starts, is just noticing. What do you mean by shift? Uh, You're, like, instead of, when something difficult arises and having a desire like, oh, I can't be with this and a way to not be with it is to uh, comfort myself with food. Shifting like, oh yeah, either two things. One, it's like, yes, this is uncomfortable, but I guess I can be with it. That's kind of a shift without having to do something else. Or the shift to doing something else that maybe is a little bit more supportive, like, Okay, I can't uh, really, I, I, I can't be with this right now, but I, I'm going to go for a walk. Or I'm going to call my friend. Or I'm going to write. Or, you know, something else that maybe is supportive for your life or something like that. Yes, so. Thank you. Thank you for asking this, Peter, because the same thing happened to me today. Uh, and... All of the tactics that you're working, you're talking about, they don't work in that moment. Um, it just doesn't, there is nothing rational that can make me get away from that. And so in this meditation today, though I had an insight, I realized that in other circumstances in my life, my brain seems to be functioning. <laughs> but in that case, it's like it was a complete blank and there was just the cookie. There was just nothing else. And it just really takes over. There is no space for thinking about anything. It, it just like, I just realized, it was very interesting because I never noticed before that kind of like mm, paralysis almost. Because you know, like I can be working and checking an email. I, I have bandwidth to do something else. But I just, it's like my mind has no bandwidth to process anything whatsoever. Um, and then you said, um, think about some of the qualities of that thing that may not be um, appealing. And I was like, well, that's not a person, that's a cookie. <laughs> like, I'm looking at it and I was like, it looks pretty good from all sides. <laughs> but then... It's just like this thing clicked and it's a little gross, but I imagine the cookie just being completely mashed in my mouth and it just, I just lost interest in it. Um, that was very powerful. Suddenly my mind had some cycles again. I could think and then I could, you know, apply what you're saying, go back to my breath or anything like this. But in the second before, like, you could have been literally in my apartment telling me, Sylvie, go back to your breath. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, 
Nope, I'm going to for the cookie. <laughs> right? It's such a huge... It's a human experience, right? Who else has experienced this, right? That when something difficult happens, sometimes we just need some comfort or some distraction or something. And with meditation practice in general, just our capacity to be with discomfort gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So there are fewer and fewer things that are going to trigger this. And probably, Sylvia, if you were to reflect back before you had a meditation practice, and now, you, now you're probably able to be with more and more things at a, where before your mind does this. Yes, absolutely. But I, I could think about it when it happened today. I was like, you know, I think, like Peter was saying, I, I've, this really is like bothering me right now. I, I need to just be with that thing. But my mind was really like... I guess it's aversion, what you are talking about. There was just no way my mind wanted to go there. And um, I could have sat then, you know. I mean, I was working at home, so it's not, you know, but just... And so it's great that you're kind of fascinated by this. So this is how we work with this. It's like, it's just by like, oh, okay, wow, this is what happens. And that's all that we need to do, right? It'll take care of itself, but you have, we have to be patient and persistent and not expect that, okay, now that we've seen something, that it's just automatically going to shift. Seeing is a definite part. It's a necessary part. It's not sufficient. That we have to see it a thousand times, ten thousand times, I don't know. But this is definitely how it starts, is the part of, you know, changing and then it'll get to be where you don't even notice where something that maybe today would cause you to go into this kind of freeze and want a cookie. Maybe if the exact same event were to happen, you know, sometime in the future, you, you won't even recognize that you're not thinking of going to the cookie because you didn't think of going to the cookie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really don't go to the cookie as often as I used yeah. to before, way before. There is no question about it. But do you have a tip for... And freezing the brain. <laughs> like, I don't know. It feels like if there was just this one space, just like you had to, today, I was able to just think about it in a different manner, and that was enough. Yeah. So here, try it. you can try this. Like, oh, my brain is frozen. And just that act of noticing creates a little bit of space that maybe something else can then shift or happen. So when you find yourself there, maybe even say in your mind, wow, I'm stuck, or my brain's frozen, or whatever it might be, that that may be enough to kind of help uh, bring it back online. (laughs) Yes, Ludwig. So do I hear you saying that the meditation practice, just sitting and focusing on my breath, will in the end help me to um, become more skillful of observing, like, oh, that, that very specific desire is coming up. So when I'm sitting and my mind wanders, and I bring it back to just focus on focusing on my breath, developing that skill set of I will help my mind to stay in the presence 
and focusing on one thing only, and that is being in a state of breathing. So that my question comes from, I practiced with great discipline the meditation after I did the Vipassana, the 10 day. What I observed after that was on my bike rides, I, you know, ride up in the hills. Sometimes, you know, before the Vipassana, my mind just went everywhere. And my body just knew the route, you know, the, the route. And after Vipassana, I was able just on my bike, focusing on my breath. It was remarkable. And let me ask you, was that a pleasant, you said it was remarkable, but was it a pleasant experience just to be with your breath? It, it was just, um, yes, it was remarkable. And what I experienced on my rides, on my rides, um, my mind didn't wander. It was, it was remarkable to pedaling up these hills and s- just focusing on my breath right underneath my nose. Mm-hmm. That, was, mm-hmm. that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of like how uh, we can work with desire too because as we start to have different experiences, we could say like, oh yeah, it's actually, it just feels better to be focusing on the breath while riding your bike than to let, letting your mind wander. Then you're more apt to do that. So then you're letting go of the desire because it takes a little bit of work, right? There's, it has to take some momentum before your mind can um, do that. So the desire for what's easiest or or most comfortable gets uh, maybe replaced by the desire because now you know that it's actually a pleasant experience to do this. So as, as practice, then then our kind of our desires start to shift as we start to have different experiences and different capabilities as well. So when, so when that cookie comes up, you know, whatever that cookie is, you know, clicking or distracting or eating, whatever that so-called cookie is, um, do I hear you saying with a meditation with the skill set of staying focused in the meditation that gives me later on a ability of, oh, the desire for the cookie comes up. Well, I actually don't need to go there because I can just focus on my breathing or, or stay centered, whatever is right in front of me. Yeah, so you, you're talking about focus, so definitely we, we gain this skill of focus, but also we gain this... Uh, understanding of ourselves. This is what this, oh, this is desire. Whereas before we may not have even noticed that was desire. So we just start to recognize our inner life, our mental state, how our body feels. And then it starts to lose some of its power if we can just say like, oh yeah, oh, here's desire. I've experienced this a lot. Here it is again. And it's it's maybe not so much of a problem. It's like, oh yeah, okay, here we go. So as opposed, so you can recognize it earlier and you can have ease with it and um, familiarity with it. It doesn't have to be a problem. So the more we meditate, whether you're 
you know, specifically intending to learn more about desire. But I just want to kind of address that because I've been practicing for about a year plus, and the thing that I notice amazingly is that the real beauty is that it gives you a choice. Yeah. You can look at it. You can go, oh, look, I have that craving for cookies or whatever it is. And you can go, okay. And it goes away. And it broadens a whole world of choices in different areas. That's so right. I'm very happy with it. I want to continue forward. Yeah, that's what I would say is what this practice is all about, is creating choices for ourselves. And then so we can choose things more and more that bring greater and greater freedom, mm-hmm. ease, peace, that we can choose to be of service to others instead of being so busy with ourselves sometimes or whatever it may be. And I'll just add, I've been doing some reading of, um, um, of Gill's book. And, I, and also um, the Book of Joy. Has anyone read that? It's the Dalai Lama and uh, Desmond Tutu. It's wonderful. It's a conversation. It's, they're having a conversation. And um, one of the things that I've learned is that um, it is a practice. Buddhism, I thought, was a religion. And it's very interesting to me that I believe it was either the Dalai Lama or Desmond Tutu who said, I think it was the Dalai Lama, who said, it is not a religion, it's a practice. It's a thousands-of-year-old practice of right ways to live. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. So it depends who you ask, right? You ask different people, you'll get a different answer to that. But the way that we teach it here is it's a practice, right? We have a... I just want to be respectful for those people for whom it is a religion. I just want to kind of like acknowledge, right? There's a lot of people in Asia, this is their primary religion, right? So I want to kind of bow to them, honor their. So I wanted to uh, mention now that there, in th- we've been talking about desire, but there's a difference between desire and pleasure too, right? Even though we often kind of get them mixed up. And, and it's easy to think or depending on our backgrounds, that like, okay, well, pleasure is bad, or, you know, we really should just be uh, working hard, and I don't know what we would think. But but I want to, just like there's skillful and unskillful desire, there can be skillful pleasure, too. For example, spending time in nature. For me, I feel like a certain like, kind of like relaxation and kind of an openness and a spaciousness, right? This just supports my life in general, right? You know, especially like to be with some trees or at the water or something like that. Or maybe, um, here's another example, is that I actually really enjoy coffee. I'd like to have my morning cup of coffee. That's something that I really enjoy. And I also, um, I need to take some supplements, but I really dislike taking supplements. I thought, okay, what if I tie, that I'll just take my supplements before my morning coffee. So in this way, the pleasure of coffee is kind of supporting my life so that it's helping me support doing something that I don't really want to do. That's a minor uh, example, but I don't want us to think that um, pleasure 
is something that's not part of the Buddhist practice. It definitely is. And if we look at some of the descriptions, there's certainly like a lot of uh, meditative joy and happiness and contentment that is available. Often when we're kind of settled, which takes a, can take some effort to get there. I don't want to say that you're going to get it automatically right away. But there can be some skillful pleasure as well as part of the practice and to support our life. Um, let's see, I think I was thinking of... Um, yeah, well, so the... Um, you know, it can be sometimes very wise to, you know what, I'm just going to go lay down for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if you have this capability. Like instead of kind of like getting working ourselves, oh my gosh, I have more to do, I have more to do, and I'm exhausted and I'm pushing myself through this. Maybe it makes sense to just lie down and just to feel the pleasure of just relaxing into the floor or the bed, whatever we're lying down onto. Like... Oh, okay. Right? We don't necessarily have to make a big project out of meditating, but just that, okay, I'm just going to kind of like break the cycle of sometimes we get, it's can get into the sense of do, 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 go, go, go. Something like that. I said coffee, which helps me take the supplements, but there can just be the pleasure of drinking a cup of tea. Right? That can, and just allowing our mind to wander a little bit. And just without checking email or reading the news or something like that. And that can give some space for some creativity. To just allow things to go. And maybe with creativity, all kinds of things can arise that can support our life. So, does anybody actually, does anybody else have some idea? What is it, uh, some skillful ways for pleasure? Oh, there's some questions, but uh, Shrey, do you want, do you have some ideas of I'm sorry, what were you asking us? <laughs> yes, you had your hand up, but you had wanted a question. <laughs> I was giving some ideas of how there can be skillful pleasure. I don't oh, know if right, you right. have some ideas or um, if you have a question. Well, I just had a comment with okay. the desire. and um, oh Well, yeah, I mean, skillful pleasure, I think, for me, it, um, it's kind of like just what you mentioned, just, you know, if I'm doing yoga or something or I'm doing you know, the corpse world, which is my favorite. It's like, you know, um, something like that. Um, but I think like with desire, I think for me, it's been interesting because like when it, it pops up and nowadays I don't identify with it as much. So the word identification comes up a lot. So it's there and it's like the more I practice, there's like a lot more space so the desire can be there with like so much other stuff and then you just kind of go on um it doesn't mean that it's like easy because it like you'll still like (laughs) feel stuff physiologically like oh i want something to make this evening like less stressful or something or you know or, or you know that way um yeah mostly just that Thank you. And did you have a, a, another a comment or a question that you wanted to say, or you wanted to share that, or to share that? Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you, Shrey. And Ludwig, I think you had your hand up, or 
Yeah, uh, simple pleasure. Um, taking a shower. Yeah, thank you. you. Know, feeling the water going, you know, touching or running. In this, you know, I'm practicing, I'm trying to practice uh, taking a shower mindfully instead of making it a task. Yeah. Thank you, that's a great idea. Yeah, for me, well, it's along the same line, it's swimming, and I try to swim like four or five days a week. And, but the swimming itself is like meditation in the water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice noontime break away from all the other stuff that goes on in my mind. Mm-hmm. I find that feeling gratitude turns things that I wouldn't have thought of pleasurable into pleasure. So, like right now, well, I'm sitting right now in a chair and a nice room with nice folks and rug. I mean, someone had to put all this thing, put all this together, you know, like, who made this rug? I have no idea, but <laughs> somebody did it, and I'm really grateful for it. And I, I, don't, I don't go around thinking like that all the time, but when I do, I just find that, wow, all of a sudden, this rug is pleasurable, kind of nice, and the chair too, by the way, and wow, and the lights and everything. So mm-hmm. I just find that that um, when I can remember just to be grateful for being alive at this moment, this time, um, I just find that things are pleasurable that I hadn't really thought of pleasurable before. That's so great that you mentioned this. Thank you, Peter. Because um, if we can have gratitude, then that's like the antidote for this feeling of lack, this feeling of insufficiency, that there's not enough. And that feeling of insufficiency, not enough, fuels desire really strongly. So if we can think of gratitude, and it can be contagious, even if we're having gratitude for the rug or the chair or the lights, then we just start to have a general feeling of sufficiency. So that can be one way to kind of work with desire, too, is to have gratitude for simple things. You mentioned nature, walking. Um, so yes, walking is a big, um, big thing. I I try to do. Um, um, I wish every day, but it's more like every other day. But I found something small that I do in the morning, um, which um, so I have a cup of tea, and in front of my window there is a, a, a telephone pole, which when I moved in I was like oh, why did I put this here? This is ugly. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing in my life because every morning when I have tea, there are scrolls walking (laughs) along that pole. Like, they don't stop. (laughs) And um, I found a name for them. Oh, Gussie is here today. (laughs) And and it gives me so much joy. So that's, that's one of my daily simple Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> nice, silly. <laughs> Ricky, friends with the, with the wildlife. So, we're talking about pleasure, some that are skillful and that can support our lives. But it can be helpful to look at our lives in general. 
how much of our life is oriented towards the pursuit of sense pleasure? That is good food, nice music, uh, visually, you know, uh, nice things to look at, just feeling comfortable and cozy. So how much of our time is spent about doing that? How much of our money, our resources, and our energy is put towards just having pleasure, like just having, right? Just... The interesting thing about it's part of our biology is that right when things are we get to a certain amount of satisfaction when we if we are hungry and then we eat again it's not like we're finished right it's not like we never have to eat again it's true for everything right things that they may get satisfied but then we have some desire again so this uh, it's inexhaustible, I guess, is my point, right, of kind of looking for uh, pleasure. There can be skillful pleasure, and then there can be the pursuit of pleasure that ends up ruling our lives. Maybe ruling, I shouldn't say that. But why don't, I think this could be useful to talk about and to explore a little bit. So let's see, three, six, nine, eleven. So why don't we get into one, two, uh, three groups of three and one group of two, and you can just talk about this. You're just examining the what role does the pursuit of sense pleasure have in your life, and how much are you oriented towards this? How much of your time, energy, money is towards pleasure? What skillful and unskillful ones? And it can be really helpful just to examine this. You know what? I would say for this, you can define it however you want. I, I use that expression, sense pleasure, but because it could include like wanting to know things, like always, like uh, the pleasure of like, oh, I got this, or you know, something like that. Or it can be helpful. So, if uh, Sean, Peter, and Sylvie, Catherine, uh, Christina, and Mary, and Joe, Kim, and Ludwig, and Shrey, and I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Uh, Adrian, sure, uh, Shrey and Adrian, if you could talk about this. And you could just talk about this uh, informally. Of course, you don't have to tell your deepest, darkest uh, secrets. And why don't, uh, like, one person can talk um, for, like, maybe two or three minutes, and then I'll ring a bell, and then you can shift to the next person or something like that. That's that. So it's less of a conversation and more um, you're just witnessing each other explore for themselves. Like, um, it's, you don't have to tell all the details. You don't have to tell all the stories. It's an opportunity for you to explore by thinking out loud, saying out loud, something like that. So the other two people are more just witnessing your exploration. Okay, and I'll ring the bell in like uh, two minutes. Or
Okay, so now you can switch to the next person and Shrey and Adrian. I, you guys can just figure it out, I guess, how to do this. So you can switch to the last person.
So if you can finish up and say thank you to your partners. And let's come back to the larger circle. So how was that, kind of exploring the role of the pursuit of uh, pleasure? Did you learn anything, or what, what was that experience like of uh, exploring the... was one of guilt about everything. So this thing about pleasure, I, I, like, I think maybe I am pushing the other way because I don't want to feel guilty about anything anymore. And pleasure was one of the big things that you, you know, you just weren't allowed. You had to do everything mm-hmm. else wow. first, you know, or whatever, whatever. But but it's it's a big thing to overcome when you've been imbued with you are guilty until proven innocent, you know. And so now I'm kind of like, I'm not going to feel guilty about this. I love this good movie, and I'm going to watch it twice. Fantastic. You know? So I don't know if that's skillful or not, but I find, then I think to myself, okay, part of the, a big part of the Buddhist teachings is that we need to be happy in this life. Happiness, after all, is what this is all about. Inner peace and happiness. And so it's pretty hard to be happy if you're denying yourself stuff all the time. So that's where I am now, whether it's skillful or not, that I'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, but... (laughs) So, Mary, I'd like to uh, add to this. So, how do you think that you can figure out whether it's skillful or unskillful? What, what do you think can uh, help you decide? So, how do I maneuver that? Because um, the guilt is always underlying. You know, it's always there underlying. Mm-hmm. You, you shouldn't do this. You should do this first. Or this is a much better thing to do because it's more generous or it's more whatever. Um, so it's a pretty tricky thing to um, to maneuver. I mean, there's always a lot of... It's sort of like rafting, you know? Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of a for instance. Well, the most recent thing is uh, I just I just moved into an apartment, and and I had to get all different furniture because my other furniture didn't fit. It's a much smaller apartment, and so I found that it's really vital for me to have uh, an environment that I think is beautiful, <coughs> that I think is cozy, that I think is comfy, that things that I like to look at. So that's 
visual pleasure, that's physical pleasure, that is emotional pleasure. But if I don't do that, I'm not at all happy where I am. Not at all. And so, you know, first thing I had to get rid of all the boxes because I can't stand living in a mess, can't stand it. So I got rid of all the boxes and okay, what am I going to put in here? And so I have been really focused on shopping for furniture, for this, for that. Or how am I going to fix this up? How am I? And so it's been, I've been pretty focused on that because when I'm not, it's like, oh, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live here. So it's like the more I'm getting myself settled into this place, the more I feel like, okay, this was a good decision that I came here. This was because... I'm happy in my environment. So um, I, I, I don't feel guilty at all about that. Everyone's mm. like, oh my God, that was too much money. You know, <laughs> I get that kind of stuff, you know. But, but then I know visually it's going to be, it's going to be so nice to look, sit there and look around and say, oh, that is really a neat thing. You know, and not because... You know, I might die tomorrow and I won't see any of it. You know, but for right now, I, um, in order for me to feel the happiness that I am pursuing and may I be happy, may I know peace, I've got to do that. You know, I've got to do that. So that's the most recent thing that I can think of, Diana. I think this is a great example because... Humans, we all want to be happy. This is such a basic thing. Our desire is all about wanting to be happy. It's all about that. And so what we, how we define happiness kind of shifts through our life and maybe through our uh, meditation practice, but this sense of well-being and ease. So one way we can find if our desires are pursuit of whatever it might be, whether it's skillful or not, does it really make us happy? Does it really bring ease and Mm well-being? This is one of the tests, whether it's skillful or unskillful. If it comes along with a lot of agitation or immediately it's just a a moment of like, oh, that was nice, I got that, look how uh, great I look to everybody else now. That's not real happiness. And right, so part of our job is to really discover what is real happiness, yeah. and how can we um, to find a way there. Yeah. But it's not only that. Also, so one way we can find skillful and unskillful is um, is it really supports some real happiness, and and not cause harm. Yeah. Right. That's paramount. It's both, right, not causing harm to others. But we will discover, if you haven't already, it doesn't make you happy if you're causing harm to others. Right? It just, if you tune in to what's happening with you, you just, it yeah. just doesn't feel good. But you may, uh, the, as, oh, as we gain more wisdom and more self-awareness and maybe some more meditation um, calmness, then we start to see more and more kind of subtle things that mm, it's, makes me happy, but there's a little bit of an edge there. Okay, it's not as happy as I thought I was or something mm-hmm. like this. So, Well, you know... 
do you, do you want to use the microphone? So, not causing harm to others is something that um, I usually stay away from, but not causing causing harm to me is something I I do on a daily basis, and and I have a hard time seeing, you know, what are the desires that are causing harm to me. Yeah, right. It's, it's so it's all related, right? We eat all these cookies; it kind of causes harm, and uh, it's. But this practice is about just to help us see, just to see more clearly, bring some awareness, and have some compassion for ourselves. This is the human experience: is we're trying to find our way. And the and the Buddha, in some particular way, I mean, he was like pretty a radical idea. He had this idea of happiness that was like completely uh, absent of any desire or anything that was um, not completely satisfactory. And he found a way to do this. But right, he made he did these things that didn't work. He tried these meditation practices. He did some ascetic practices. He did, right, he found a way. We're doing the same, maybe in a different scale, maybe in the same scale, but we're doing the same. I think, uh, not I think, what has helped, uh, th- this practice for me has helped me to be much more discerning because, you know, I, I was like, okay, am I doing this so that my friends will be impressed when they come? Is that why I'm doing it? And so I had to really consider why I was doing this and then, no, it's because it's me. Whether anyone else comes here or not, I want to come here and feel good, and feel good. And if they like it, good. If they don't, well, I mean, they may not, because there's different tastes, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but I think, you know, like in working in this, the homework this week and stuff, it's just made me much more alert, much more alert in the little nuances that pop up. You know, like, do I really want to get mad about this? This is not that big of a thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like a before. It's like, you know, come on, how dare you do that? <laughs> you know, but it's like, so this, it's really a gift to get this. Yeah. I guess discernment is what it is. I don't know what else to call it. Oh, a discernment and a synonym in this practice for discernment is wisdom. Right? That's a big part of what wisdom is. So there's skillful and unskillful desire. There's desire that's a hindrance also. Like when it may be skillful, but it's, although our relationship to it is uh, hindering, we're so tightly grabbed onto it, or we somehow it has a real grip on us. So it may be skillful that we want to meditate, but we end up yelling at everybody else, shut up, I'm trying to meditate. I don't know, right? It's, it can be, um, there's different ways to look at this. So let's see. So it's skillful desires, and um, it can be a hindrance. I'm sorry, this like slipped my mind. There was like something else I was going to say. But maybe I'll end with... Um, just a kind of a little reminder of one way that we can work with desire if we find that it is a hindrance, that it is getting in our way, or maybe it's not the most skillful. Some things that we can do is, um, the obvious things, is to not follow them, which means to like maybe just apply a little more effort. Like, oh yeah, okay, I see that 
I want to get up right now and check. I don't know what it is. Go into the, check the refrigerator. This is what I'm often doing. Just opening the refrigerator, looking at her, and closing it. Um, so to just have a little more of a commitment, like, okay, I see this desire arising. I'm just going to stay here to what I'm doing. I'm not going to follow it. That may not be available all the time, right? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. One is to really get to know our um, subjective experience of desire. What does it feel like? If we want to work with something, it's so much easier if we really understand it. And part of understanding it is becoming familiar and recognize like, oh yeah, okay, this is desire. How does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? We can examine the object. Are we really seeing it clearly? Most likely we're not. And so just to kind of remind ourselves, oh yeah, there's probably some unpleasant, undesirable aspects this do. We don't have to emphasize them. It's just to see that clearly, accurately, that it's a mixture. It's not all good, most likely. And an important thing can do is that we talked about a little bit earlier is to acknowledge and cultivate senses of well-being. Sense could be with gratitude practice or to just notice when do we have a certain amount of contentment? When is there not a sense of lack that's really strong? And to just, oh yeah, I feel actually pretty content right now. Or to even choose to cultivate contentment. So then desire has a little bit less uh, pull or push or something like that associated with it. So it's 9.01, so I want to respect your time, let you go. Um, For those of you who saw that there is a handout at the end of the stage there. And um, I'll stay here if you'd uh, like to, if you have some questions or some other things to talk about. So thank you.